in the alphabet. When we, we did family with F, we did homosexuality, we would, did gambling with G, homosexuality last week. So I, we are going to do idolatry. It's a pretty common subject in the New Testament, and I hope that mostly a review for you as I want to kind of categorize uh, a lot of the things that the Bible says about idolatry. And so uh, let me give you this uh, assignment between now and the end of the hour, okay? Um, making the application of idolatry to our time isn't always as easy as you think. You know, we, we call a lot of things idolatry, but I want you to think about that as we read these verses and go through these categories, and then you uh, tell me what things you see in our generation and in our lifetime, our culture, uh, you know, where we live, that uh, you might consider idolatry. What, what is it that could be idols in our lives? I know uh, throughout my life, you know, being in church all of my life, I've heard all kinds of applications, and properly so, to various things that take the place of God in our lives. But specifically, what, what would you say? What, what has become that in our time that maybe we should uh, watch out for and uh, be good stewards about, all right? Well, idolatry, we usually think of uh, those days, uh, especially in the Old Testament and when the Israelites were down in Egypt and God brought them out and they went into the promised land and God warned them about the idols and not to do as the heathen around them are doing. And of course, in those days and in many times throughout history, that kind of idolatry was truly a bowing down to a statue, a bowing down to something that had been carved or made. And uh, uh, a lot of the verses in the Old Testament speak to those kinds of things. So here are a few. Uh, I've not giving you handouts for these lessons, but if you're writing things, I'll try to make them clear. The first category are uh, what I would call biblical designations of idols. Here's five. As I look at the, the verses, in other words, and, and, and group them into uh, five groups, I'd call these biblical designations of idols. The first one in that category is a likeness of a living creature. God uh, warned about making likenesses of creatures that he made and worshiping them. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake to you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image the similitude, that, that old word, we don't use it much anymore, but, you know, meaning similar, something of the similitude. We are made in the likeness and similitude of God, too. But the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. I mean, God was being very specific and careful, saying of the living creatures, you're very likely to begin to make images of them and worship them. Now, 
from the start, let, let me ask you this, though. Didn't God have uh, Basileel and the others who made the uh, instruments for the tabernacle and the temple, didn't they carve the likeness of living creatures in those? They did. The great altar, the sea, sat upon 12 oxen that were look three looking each direction. So what's the difference? Well, the difference then must be that one you do for the purpose of worshiping. One you do uh, for the purpose of exalting this animal, exalting this creature to a place that only God deserves. As a matter of fact, higher than it deserves, maybe. Uh, higher than a human being. Uh, what if we, uh, you know, worship, we take an animal and we somehow make it more human-like and more even divine-like? Uh, maybe we're not saying, oh, it's equal to God, but we exalt it above where it should be. So I think it must be in that, it must include that. Remember when uh, uh, in the wilderness, of course, Aaron was fooled into making a a golden calf, right? A, a calf out of gold. Well, why? So that uh, since, you know, they didn't have any gods from Egypt out here and Moses was gone and we don't know what happened to him, let's make something that can lead us, something that, can, that we can turn to in that sense. Even though Basileel later carved oxen uh, for the temple and tabernacle worship. So there's a difference there, all right? So the likeness of a living creature. Secondly, the representation of men who are made in God's image. So Ezekiel 23, you move up in time to Ezekiel's time, way down to, you know, the, the 500s, uh, early 500s B.C., but he goes to Babylon, and then Ezekiel sees these things as God shows him in visions that... Uh, uh, Ezekiel 23:14. she increased her whoredoms when she saw men portrayed upon the wall. The images of the Chaldeans portrayed with vermilion. Uh, in other words, these are, th this is Israel pictured. She increased her whoredoms uh, in making these representations of human beings upon the wall. It may have been lewd-type pictures, as we call them. It may have been just something that they worshipped and so forth. And when the Israelites were taken down to Egypt, Jeremiah saw these same things, uh, that they went down to Egypt and began to worship like the Egyptians did. Okay, thirdly, an image of part of God's creation. So um, in Deuteronomy 5, 8, and 9... Here's, you know, God has created these things. That thou shalt uh, not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in, in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So uh, God's creation we need to be careful with. It's God's handiwork after all. And uh, I think even though artwork is decent and good and artists through the centuries 
we, we basically have judged it as good or bad depending on how well they represent something, representational art. How well did you paint that tree? You painted it well, you're a good artist. But did you bow down to it? Did you do it so that uh, you, know, you exalted above what even God made it for? Could be. Fourthly, a monument sometimes is made to a false god, of course. So uh, Jeremiah 43, 13. He shall break also the images of Beth Shemesh that is in the land of Egypt. The house of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. In other words, there, there were the gods uh, in Egypt that you know, had a, had a uh, uh, man's body and a, uh, a bull's head or a cow's head. Uh, there were uh, other images like that that they carved and bowed down to. Also, remember the Baal Ashtoreth worship and what was called the Ashtoreth Pole. I don't know if it was a lot different than a maypole later is used, or totem pole for that matter, where images are carved and then, and then certain acts of worship are done around it. God uh, always condemned that kind of thing. So a monument. Uh, even in, uh, in Acts 19, when Paul is in Ephesus, they are a worshiper of, of uh, Diana, of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? So uh, they had made an image, worshipped Diana. Uh, matter of fact, I remember preaching a sermon on that when uh, Princess Diana died. <laughs> I mean, it, it seemed like she was God herself when she died, right? I mean, uh, not much of a woman really when it came right down to the qualities of womanhood, but uh, uh, they had made her out to be almost a god, and especially in in uh, England. And then uh, lastly, an altar then as a place to bring gifts. There were these altars that were made in various different places. Isaiah 17, 8, he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. You remember that when they came into the land of Egypt, I mean, uh, Israel, under Joshua, they didn't have Jerusalem yet. They didn't have a temple there yet. As a matter of fact, they were bringing the ark with them, and it sat over here for a while and over here for a while. And part of the problem became that the Israelites began to then make their own altars in other places where they could worship. And one of the things that God had to do was centralize all of that into Jerusalem and then say you're not to worship at those altars because those altars easily turned into idolatry and uh, worshiping of other things. All right, so first category is kind of biblical designations of, uh, of idols. Secondly, there are biblical actions of idolatry. Okay, so the actions that they did kind of like this. First of all, I, what I call empty actions uh, with pretended significance. So Isaiah 66, 3, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. 
he that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck, he that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol, yea, you have chosen, or they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. In other words, uh, they uh, liked the act of sacrificing the animal uh, and uh, did it as if they were worshiping it and so forth. Maybe, uh, maybe we go through actions of worship sometimes without really thinking about God. We're thinking more about ourselves than about God. Or maybe we're doing some action of worship so that other people see us do it rather than because we're actually humbling ourselves before God. That's a common thing, I think. So uh, there's one for our end-time discussion right there. Secondly, uh, there are, uh, I call them good-for-nothing religious actions or empty actions. Ezekiel 30, verse 13. Thus saith the Lord God, I will dis also destroy the idols. I will cause their images to cease out of Noph. There shall... Uh, be no more a prince of the land of Egypt. I will put fear in the land of Egypt. So the idea here is they're empty images and empty idols. Uh, and they are good for nothing uh, actions when we do that. Thirdly, a frightful sight designed to scare devotees. Frightful sights. Uh, In Jeremiah 50, verse 38, kind of hard to understand with just this verse, but a, a drought is upon her waters. They shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. And kind of in the sense that uh, they make their idols scary. They make their idols frightful. And uh, it's supposed to excite in you some kind of action even toward worship, if you are moved by, this, uh, by these images and moved maybe by your own emotions in it. Then there are shameful actions, of course, performed before an idol. Of course, there, are, there were lots of these. That's what Baal Ashtoreth worship and other things was about. Jeremiah eleven thirteen, For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal? So uh, when, you, when you read of Ashtoreth worship and Baal worship in the Old Testament, it's really a very shameful, we would call it pornographic thing. You know, I was, I was in... Uh, I was in Athens once in my life and uh, got to spend a whole day there and go through the city, got to go up on the Acropolis to Mars Hill and all of that, but also uh, I had time to go through the, uh, I, I think it was a national museum anyway, uh, the Museum of Art in uh, Athens. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of the old uh, Greek stuff there. But they, they also had a display of Baal, who is also Cupid, by the way, in, Rome, you know, in the Roman mythology. He's Cupid. And uh, frankly, it's not something I would have wanted my daughter to see. 
It was, it was pretty pornographic, a statue carved and now in the museum. And of course, it's an ancient thing, so it had been there for forever. So uh, here they are making, Israelites making these kinds of things and then using them in their worship. No wonder God uh, condemns this kind of thing. The Baal Ashtoreth worship was basically a, a sex cult. It was, it was a mother-son sex cult. And that's why the mother-son worship, whether it was in Babylonia and at the Tower of Babel, whether it was uh, in uh, Egypt as Isis and Horus, whether it was in Phoenicia as Baal Ashtoreth or in Rome as Venus and Cupid. Uh, it was a very lewd thing. And so God condemns it and warns the Israelites when you go into, you go into the land, you don't, you don't make images of these kinds of things. And, they, and yet they did. God's own people did. Hosea 9 uh, verse 10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first vine. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. Shame for God's people, isn't it? And then um, uh, there was evidently obscenity expressed in a public way in various times with idolatry. Obscenities. Um, and I don't know. I have, a, I have Ezra 8.10, and I'm sorry it doesn't show the context. Um, but anyway, uh, either I have the wrong verse or it doesn't show the context. So uh, obviously there had, to be, there had to be motions and there had to be sayings and there had to be pronouncements made uh, at these uh, things, and many times they were uh, very obscene. Okay, so most of those are Old Testament, uh, mo most of those Old Testament uh, references. But I'm going to read some in the New Testament that even commanded New Testament believers not to practice idolatry. So imagine if you were a New Testament believer, we are, but in the first century. You know, we're, we're pretty used to it here comfortably, you know, in the 20th and 21st century. We don't see any statues like that that we worship, although... There have been pagan people around the world, even in our lifetime or in the history of the United States, uh, that worshipped in various idolatrous ways, uh, including people on this land, including people in continents of the world, and those things Christians could not participate in. Well, here are a few commands. Uh, uh, four of them in the New Testament. Number one, we're, we're to turn away from idols, of course. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, They themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So here are these uh, people in Thessalonica. It's the first century. It's early in the first century, mid-century. And uh, the gospel is preached to them, and they had to turn away from their idols in order to turn to God. What do you suppose their idols were? They were still steeped in Greek uh, thought and language and culture. 
they they were forced to worship in a Roman way. What what was the major Roman worship that became idolatrous in the first century? What did you burn and offer to Caesar? Incense, right? You burned the incense. Hey, what's wrong with incense? It makes the room smell good, right? But you burn it on an altar and you say, Caesar is God. If you can do that, burn this incense on an altar saying, Caesar is God, then everything else is permitted for you. That's all you have to do. You just have to do that and you can go about your way. And Christians would refuse to, to burn incense and say, Caesar is God. How can you do that? You know. Uh, I remember when uh, I was in India on that same trip, I was in, uh, in Greece, we were in India with missionaries, and uh, we visited uh, Hindu temples to see them. You, could, you know, as they had tours and, and so forth. But often when you went into a Hindu temple, you were supposed to take your shoes off. All right, I'll take my shoes off, that, you know. But you're supposed to also take a little packet of incense with you so that as you are leaving or sometime during the tour, you're supposed to put this on a statue of Buddha or whatever statue they had there. And fortunately, you could refuse to do that. You know, I thought, well, maybe they won't let me out of here if I don't. But you could refuse to take it and not do it. But every visitor was offered his little piece of incense. And a lot of people, you know, Americans going through things like that, they don't think about it. It's kind of like, you know, going through Merrimack Caverns down here. And so Jesse James lived there, big deal, you know, I, you know, fine. You know, but uh, to them, it was much more serious. And... Uh, I've been in places of the world still where uh, that kind of thing happens today and, you know, you kind of, it startles you a little bit to say, oh, they really believe in this stuff, don't they? To be careful, okay? Um, so we're to, they turned from these idols even in the New Testament time, and I think probably from doing these things like offering incense to Caesar or whatever, they had to stop. They had to say, that's idolatry. And they turn to God rather than that. There's a command in 1 John to keep yourselves from idols. Remember, 1 John 5.21 is, I think, the last verse of the book. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John writing in the late first century, there were probably a lot, there was a lot of idolatrous things around. But when you think of the book of 1 John, maybe, there, maybe there's a lot of just actions that Christians do that border on idolatry. Flee from idolatry, thirdly, is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Uh, a, a, a very short, simple command along with others. Wherefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And, and 1 Corinthians 10 is the summary of things that happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. And one of those things that happened to them, of course, was bowing down to that calf and, and other things. And so... Paul kind of concludes that section by saying, and so you believers flee from idolatry. Don't get caught up in that kind of thing. Fourthly, don't be idolaters as they were in verse 7 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, 7. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were. 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then in the New Testament, there are uh, actions associated with idolatry. Uh, I think uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, kind of a weakness toward idolatry. 1 Corinthians 8, 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. What, what is that context in, in 1 Corinthians there where he's saying be careful about that person's conscience? Well, a lot of people were saved out of uh, idolatrous religions, including the Roman religion and others. And so if they had grown up all their lives and they had worshipped the idols all of their life, maybe they had taken the incense down there, you know, every so often. Maybe they went to the feast days. Maybe they went to the temple of Diana or Aphrodite or something like that, and there were statues, and they either bowed down or they laid something there at the foot, whatever they did, burn incense or whatever. Then, then they become Christians. Well, here come these Jewish people. The Jews never did that, of course. So these Jewish people, though they were lost, they didn't, they didn't worship idols. They worshiped the one and true God, Jehovah, you know. So a Jew gets saved. He has no conscience about that kind of thing. It never bothered him. But this Gentile who got saved, he, he grew up in that. It really bothers him. And so the two of them are walking down the street, you know, and the Jew says, Let, let's go in here to this butcher shop and eat a good steak. You know, they have the greatest steak in there. Uh, uh, it was offered to, uh, you know, Diana, so they really made sure it was good meat. And that, and that Gentile says, I can't do that. You know, the Jew says, oh, there's nothing to that. The Gentile says, I, I just can't do it. Have you ever been with a person who maybe had had a drinking problem in their life and is tr still trying to maybe to overcome it, and you didn't think about it when you went into a restaurant that had a bar there that was pretty prominent to you? It's nothing. You never had a drinking problem. It didn't bother you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way, but it bothers him just to be in that place. And so what's the wisest thing for you as a Christian to do? Don't go, don't take him there. You know, go somewhere else to eat. So there were, there's probably a lot of that in the first century. So, and, and Paul knew it and, and, and was talking to churches like Corinth and Rome who had this mixture of Jew and Gentile believers. By the way, the same thing happened then when uh, the, the Gentile would say, well, let's, let, it's Saturday, let's go fishing. <laughs> And the Jewish believers say, Saturday, huh? I don't know if I can go fish. Sure, you can go fish, and we're not under the law anymore. I just can't quite bring myself to do it. So he didn't, you know, try to offend the Jewish conscience either with things like Sabbath keeping and all. Even though Paul makes it clear, all things are given to us to eat, all days are equal, still be careful that you don't do something that that a man still has a conscience about and is trying to overcome uh, in their life. Don't force them back into it. As a matter of fact, in that passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 8, 
he also says, because if you, if the weak brother then sees you indulging without a problem in your conscience, and he goes back into that, it may lead him back into his old idolatry, and then you've destroyed a brother for whom Christ died. Don't do that. So don't lead him back into his sin again. Okay, um, so fleeing from idolatry, not, uh, don't be idolaters. A weakness toward idolatry, Number th these are actions associated with idolatry. A weakness toward idolatry. Secondly, a work of the flesh. So Galatians 5, where, uh, where you have the fruit of the Spirit and you have the work of the flesh. There's a long list of things that belong to the works of the flesh. And in verse 20, it's, the first one is idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, isn't it, you know, I know I've said this before. It's always interesting to me. Here, here's idolatry and here's witchcraft. I mean, those two things are pretty big sins. If you're practicing idolatry somewhere and witchcraft somewhere, and the next one is hatred. Linked right there in the verse with a comma, <laughs> you know, and not even commas in the original writings. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and then heresy at the end. Well, that's a terrible one. But Paul sees it all the same. And so he lumps idolatry here as a work of the flesh, or rather strive for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. Those kinds of things uh, are not idolatry, of, uh, idolatrous, of course. And then, interestingly, thirdly, one action that's associated with idolatry very plainly is covetousness. As a matter of fact, a number of times, but for example, in Ephesians 5.5, 5, for this you know, no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. The covetous man is an idolater. Then in Colossians 3, 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. I think maybe we can see that clearly, can't we? Uh, you know, covetousness became the, the last of the Ten Commandments, but some people see it kind of as the base of the Ten Commandments. You know, covetousness uh, becomes kind of the base sin for a lot of things because we want it for ourselves. We want something for us. And uh, even if it's a feeling, even if it's a religious emotion, whatever, and it can lead us then into uh, worshiping that thing that we are after. We want it so badly. We just have to have it. Boy, Americans can be susceptible to that in a number of ways, can't we? Because in America we have so much, but we want it. We want more, <laughs> and we want it all, and we have a way of getting it. But it may be a covetous way, and if it is, that may be idolatry. All right, then um, stubbornness, is seen as idolatry. We go back to 1 Samuel 15. The rebellion, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness as idolatry. I guess we're all a little 
guilty of idolatry then, aren't we? Because we all have some stubbornness in us somewhere. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord is why. And then um, remember this list of, uh, you know, come out from among them and be separate in 2 Corinthians 6. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. If God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he says, wherefore, come out from among them, be separate. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And of course, he's, not, he's speaking about us as our body there. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what agreement do we have with the idols of this world? Okay, let me then uh, give you four applications, and then you, you give me some applications, uh, just kind of conclusions of what we've read here. Number one, I don't think we should, we, we must never set anything above God in our lives, right? That's a given. You can't set yourself above God in a covetous way or any other way. Uh, you can't set other people, other things above God. That obviously would be idolatry if we ever did that. Secondly, we, we must not pay empty homage to godless things. So i tell you an example of it. When I was in Bible college, you know, it was a big thing to have karate clubs. People like to learn karate and various things. Well, they had a kung fu club at my Bible college. Uh, Kung Fu, you know, they had a show, a TV show, but, but Kung Fu was a little different than, I guess, just normal things. But in, in this Kung Fu club that they taught, because there was a guy in Bible college who had been trained in that, and so he was, started this club, and they had oh, all kinds of guys and girls loved it. Well, they had a red dragon on a pedestal or something and this is what he used to do when he before he was saved and so this is part of kung fu so they had it in the room when you walk into the kung fu room to practice dojo or whatever they call it you walk in there and they would do their little bow to this red dragon in a bible college as they walked in to practice their kung fu and i thought good grief you know i never went in the room i didn't figure i needed kung fu they can kick my head off sometime if they want to but i don't need I don't need the defense. In a Bible, so, so what I'm saying, empty homage. Sometimes we do and we're not thinking. We don't really mean it, but we're not thinking, and we do it. I wonder if God isn't offended by that kind of thing. Sometimes, I, again, I think we get caught up in our own images and music and, and worship styles, and we just go through it for our own benefit rather than God's. Thirdly, we must not feed our flesh on spirit or terror or fear. I think watching horror movies is a wrong thing for our soul. You know, why watch somebody being chopped to pieces with a hatchet? Does that, what does that do for you? Why watch, you know, the creation of monsters and, you know, I, I think there's some silliness and maybe play things, but, I mean, it gets to the point where people just can't get enough of that, just want more and almost addicted to that kind of thing, and it's gross. It's a distortion of God's world. 
Um, maybe, you know, gangs and terror and things that are spread throughout the world and throughout our own cities and countries involve young people in things they can't get out of and they're afraid. It, it's, it's fear. And I think it can become idolatry. Um, and then we must not make statements with words that demote God or blaspheme God. Of course, cursing does that, doesn't it? And, and we're not to take God's name in vain because we demote God then, which is just as bad as exalting something else above God. And uh, we shouldn't either praise false things, things that are false, uh, we should not give our amen to. John says, you know, don't bid them Godspeed. If you do, you're partaker of their evil deeds. So we can't do that kind of thing either. All right. So I think those are just some common conclusions. All right. Got five minutes. What did you come up with? What in, what in our life and our world is idolatry? Some plain ones, simple ones. What, what do you think? Social media. Social media? Uh-oh. To what extent, Calvin? You, you and I both have email. <laughs> matter of fact we're both on Facebook so how would it work how would you do it okay in other words there there are windows on there that lead you into everything from pornography to idolatries of course yeah Okay, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe beyond that, you might be saying too, it's just easy for, a, for some young person to live in the internet, to live in a virtual world instead of the real world. And I think you're getting really close to an idolatrous living situation when, when you think all of that is real. Yeah, and you respond to it and live according to it. Okay, uh, You know, I think there's no doubt. Maybe there's a whole sliding scale here. But there's no doubt there are things, even under the name of Christianity, that have become idolatrous. And they're not, you know, it's more a worship of self than of God. I, I think that's pretty, pretty clear that we do have that. Mary, did you have any? So things, even in our early days of television that our father, you know, our parents maybe didn't even have when they were young, but they take the place of, or they substitute our time in the word or our time in things. Yeah. And today, there, there will be more people in sports stadiums today than any other venue out there. And on the Lord's Day, of course, you know. But that's, but that's true seven days a week, you know. Uh, people will religiously go to those things and hardly ever 
come to God's house, of course. And cheer <laughs> and show emotion and really get into it. Come to church and bored to death. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, they'll be out there today in the snow and everything else. That's right, yeah. Yeah, physical fitness. The gyms, the, the looks, the dress that goes with it. Um, it, it can become a, your worship, you know, to my body and what I look like and how attractive I am or whatever it is, you know. Can, yeah, there's no doubt about that, I think. Kevin? Yeah, now the, I, I'm for recording purposes. I mean, again, back to kind of Calvin's thought too. Just the electronic age that fills our kids' minds with with unreal things, and yet we treat them as real, and we live as though they were real. You know, uh, I've noticed too that uh, you know, uh, in my lifetime, speakers, preachers too would give illustrations from either real life things or either or even from books that were actually written now illustrations are given from movies well you know when so and so in the movie did this and i'm thinking to myself and that's not even real <laughs> they were acting it never happened of course that could be true in a book too you know i i have said uh that i believe that can, can I use a general term and call it rock music? But music of that uh, genre is, is the world's idolatry. I have been in a lot of places of the world, in a lot of countries that speak different languages, in a lot of different cultures and cities, but the one thing that's constant is that our world is wallpapered with that sound and that music. In every restaurant, I don't care whether I was in Taipei, Taiwan, or Moscow, uh, uh, Russia. It's the same sound, the same noise going on all, the, the words are in a different language, but that music is all over our world. And I think it's, to me, it's the idolatry of the world. And I think we shouldn't bring it into the church. I think when we do, we've brought uh, a certain idolatrous practice into the church. Dwayne. So another comment about visual world, and, and of course, kids at very early ages now. And, and here's a dilemma. 
our kids are going to have to grow up knowing something about the electronic world, and they have to begin learning it. And in schools, they're going to have to use it in their early grades. And yet, here's the danger that comes right along with it. And so, boy, that's a tough mixture uh, of how you, you know, because it is true. I know what you're saying. And how many of you, I know you have been, you, you've been in some waiting room somewhere, whether the doctor's office, an airport or, or somewhere, and there's as many people like we are sitting around within 10 feet of each other, and they're all doing this, <laughs> you know, looking right down at their device. They're not talking with each other. Maybe they're texting to each other. Who knows, you know, because you've seen that happen. At the dinner table, yeah. <laughs> Text each other at the dinner table. You know, so the, the abuses of things that can be good have always been uh, dangerous and turned to idolatry. Yeah, Godfather. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't there some Italian guy who went by that title? Okay, that's idolatry, so uh, let's end in prayer, okay? Father, uh, we have read your word and, and uh, remembered a lot of things that are said, that you've said to us. And Father, uh, our world is as complicated as it's ever been, we know, and, and the avenues for idolatry are obviously there. So help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Help us to understand the difference between using the things that are in this world and abusing them and cause us to be good stewards of all that we have in our hands and all that we can do in our lives and uh, make us like Christ that we might be children of our Father and you might be uh, our Heavenly Father in the way that you desire to be. Well, thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here this morning.